0: This Lasso Lowdown with the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. We're doing an episode episode-by-episode review of the Apple Plus TV series. Ted Lasso, Spencer, we're episode seven, three more after this one, firmly in the back half of season two. I'm interested to hear your initial thoughts. We have not discussed even, even one iota, one sentence not a bit. of this not a episode. Bit. Here's my prediction. My prediction <laughs> is, My uh-huh. prediction is you liked it a little bit more
1: than me. What did you think? This felt like almost like the anti-you episode of Ted Lasso. I don't think you're ever going to dislike Ted Lasso, but this just did not check the boxes that you most enjoy about the show. For me, I thought it was a good episode. I thought it was an important kind of setup episode of like, okay, let's now decompress the momentous events of last time and see where everybody's at. It's not going to factor into my top half, even of the series necessarily, but I thought it was still good and solid and affecting to watch. You, okay, on the other hand.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I thought this was the closest this show has ever gotten to being boring. Um I was bo- actively bored during a lot of it. Um I, I'm not I still love the show, folks. Like, don't don't turn the pod off. We're gonna keep doing the pod. <laughs> We're gonna talk, I'm not gonna trash it for the next two hours, but I am gonna say it was probably, if not my least favorite episode they've ever done, at least in the bottom two or three. I can't I can't think of one right now offhand that I liked. Less than, the, or that I liked less than this one, um, because I felt like
1: not much happened. I was bored. It does make for a very mixed season for you then, where it's had probably some of your highest highs and now your lowest lows of the series.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And my guess is that that it's that way for everyone right it might be in the inverse of me or it might be mm-hmm. with me but i feel like there's there's episodes that are very very different from each other and so that most people are probably having a similar reaction that we are which is either they really like the early C episodes and they're not liking these or the early ones were yeah had some yeah. had some moments but you know weren't what you were looking for in ted lasso which is what you've communicated previously right. and maybe back on the tracks now so i think yeah. i think most people are going through something similar
1: and that's probably what I appreciate about this episode, where on its own, yeah, it's good, it's fine, it, it, it does what it is, but it serves as an arc episode in a way I like, of where I now have a very clear arc for the show and kind of direction they're going in and purpose for these characters that wasn't apparent in the early episodes that were just feeling more kind of silly one-off. And so you're right, it, very much what you're coming to this show for, they're satisfying everybody, but not at the same time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, 100 percent degree. So that's a, that's our, our initial thoughts of the episode. Let's go ahead and jump into the format here at the Lasso Lowdown. We have segments segment galore on the Lasso Lowdown. We start with biscuits with the boss. where Spencer brings a dessert to the episode. I do tea time with Lee, where I attempt to convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as ted thinks it is then we do the recap spencer leads the recap every week heroically banging out the notes going beat by beat through the episode we love him for Mm -hmm. it to train wreck of the episode i have got a nominee (laughs) strong (laughs) strong train wreck of the episode nominee this episode Mm -hmm. then we go to our sports center top 10 where we nail 10 exactly 10 not 11 not nine things that we liked about the episode we wrap up with a actually genuine segment called ted's life lessons of the episode and as much as i did not like this episode spencer it was yeah, not my there favorite a few. I found it boring. there are ted's life lessons so that segment will continue unabated uh, absolutely like it has in previous episodes so i think it's about time we jump into our segments before we do so let's do a little housekeeping here on the last lowdown spencer if you if you look at our chart if you look at mm-hmm. the chart of listeners mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's the nasdaq over the last 10 years every week it gets mm-hmm. higher every single week it gets higher um, I'm so uh, heartwarmed and thankful that folks continue to, to come to the pod, continue to get positive notes about it. We do this because we enjoy it, but we also do it because we hope you enjoy it. So if you are enjoying the podcast, please rate and review us. We love to hear the reviews, what you guys are thinking. You can always go to MangumTalks.com. We are a Mangum Talks podcast. And you can fill out the contact us form and let us know exactly what you're thinking about the episode. We love to hear your feedback. And we're really glad you're listening because... This is a fun show and we have a fun time talking about it. Absolutely. So again, thanks everybody for listening. So let's jump into our segment. Spencer, what is your dessert for us this week?
1: Well, you know, for me with desserts, I'm of diverse opinions, but I often really appreciate the simple things. And so this time around for an episode, (laughs) I don't have much to the way of notes. I got like four pages of notes this time, which for me is nothing. I figured I'd just go with a nice, simple dessert. So this time around, I went with shortbread dipped in chocolate cookies, classic little French cookie. Very tasty, very delectable. Not much complexity to them, but still, still a fun way, fun way to enjoy yourself.
0: So, question for you: Isn't that pretty close to the black and white cookie you did last week?
1: Shut up! But yes. Just, okay. I'm not. am not
0: trying to call you out. It was a genuine question. Sorry, I think I phrased that incorrectly. I genuinely was
1: wondering. Like, isn't that isn't that kind of what a black and white cookie is, though? It's leaving out the white. It's just the cookie. Dipped on one side with chocolate. It's a bit. It's very different consistency on the actual cookie itself. But in terms of presentation, it looks like they left out half the top of the cookie.
0: Okay, I'm ready to, to go ahead and debut something. I've come to a revelation this week, Spencer. I had a big revelation in my personal life this week, and I'm going to debut it here on the podcast. Tell us, sir. I have finally settled on, after 36 years on this planet, I've settled on my favorite type of dessert. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's a cookie. I decided that cookies are absolutely my favorite. Yes, cookies are my favorite because here's what I discovered. Is that if I have pie in the house, I can shoo... The pie. I can step away from the pie.
1: <laughs> but
0: the cookies. If there are cookies on the counter, I'm going to eat cookies every single time. There's no other dessert that that draws me like cookies do. So cookies are my favorite dessert. I'm ah, just going to go ahead and debut that this week.
1: I, I, I am so in the same mindset as you in that regard of where you keep any other dessert, I'll enjoy a slice during the evening. You know how much I like dessert. If you have a, bi- a big pile of cookies on a counter, I have no choice but to go full, full cookie monster on those just in a heartbeat.
0: 100% the same. I can't stay away from cookies. So cookies, my favorite dessert. That is out there. It is so funny that you took this tack with your your segment because my segment, Tea Time with Lee, I took a very similar tack. So this week (laughs) I have for everyone here on the podcast a tea called China Green Tea. And it is of the Butterfly brand and it is the national tea, green tea of China. So this is the green Hmm. tea. That the communist republic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, fill in blinks of China creates. You can go to any of your Asian grocery stores. It is a it is the most basic label. Maybe I'll take a picture and put it on our Facebook page it is the most basic label you'll ever see to mm-hmm. a green tea. It is serviceable, but it is boring tea. And that is exactly what this episode is. This is the most basic, boring, cheap I shouldn't say cheap for the episode, but it is cheap um, mm-hmm. epis- uh, of um, type of green tea that you're going to find out there. I have it. I drink it. Mm-hmm. But it is it is absolutely unspectacular in every way. So if you want a very, very basic green tea, go to your favorite Asian grocery store and buy the green tea made by the People's Republic, China Communist Party, et cetera, et cetera. It's by the Chinese government, and that's what I have for you. So we took a similar tack, right? Very basic, boring episode. You've got some shortbread cookies. I've got some very basic green tea.
1: I think we're set up then. Okay, well, that's
0: that's what you... I think you kind of know what we think of the... I think we wrap it up there,
1: Spencer. I think we finished our review. <laughs> now, we, we've really summarized it. We're, neither of us were that positive or, or that over. Neither of us are really effusive in either direction, but I definitely liked it better than you did. Done. You've got your recap. Okay, so before we jump in the
0: recap, I did want to ask you, um, when you watch, you watch this on the Apple Plus app, right? Or the Apple TV app? Yeah, I watch it on the
1: computer don't like, on the app. Yeah, You don't pirate it? No. Not in any way I'm going to admit on a podcast, but no, I legitimately pay for this.
0: Okay, I ask because there was a commercial before this episode that I'm actually really interested in. It's yeah, I saw that. Sci-fi, This sci-fi show off the Isaac Asimov novels.
1: The Foundation um, series.
0: They're adapting it. Whoa, that looked good. And it's the guy from Chernobyl who I really like. Jared love. Harris. Jared Harris is awesome. Um, so yeah, that looked a lot. Of, that looked really great. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pumped about that. That might be a Mangum Talks review pod, Spencer. We'll see how it goes.
1: I, I mean, if you want to watch another great sci-fi series that he's in, uh, he's in Expanse, which you started but never really continued with, but he plays a wonderful character in that. Yeah, he does. Uh, Expanse, tough couple of first seasons. It's a little slow.
0: <laughs> it gets up to Um him. All right, let's go with the recap. Spencer, take it away.
1: Well, we begin with probably, I think it's fair to say, one of the most iconic relationship songs of all history, Sonny and Shares, I Got You, Babe. Song everybody knows, it's been troped all to hell. Uh, it is you, babe. It is playing as we zoom in past Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code on the nightstand to Roy lying in bed with Keely. And as we see in various moments of their morning together, We explore really much just how in love with and how very much attached Roy is to Keely. Every look at her is with bliss. Every moment that he's within proximity of her, he's just content. It's almost weird to see how happy he is around another person, given what we know about Roy. It's also readily apparent from Keely's reactions to it, particularly when Roy isn't looking, yet I think it's fair to say she's feeling a bit smothered by this. He's looking at her with adoring eyes, that's great, it's everything. But even when she tries to sneak off for tea at a cafe, Roy immediately takes the opportunity to tag along and she actually grimaces at the idea that he's coming. Which is an aspect of the relationship we haven't really seen before this episode, I think it'd be fair to say. Question
0: for you, in this montage, all of the individual like vignettes we get of them two together and Roy just sort of always being there and being present. Do you think Roy was doing anything weird or creepy or wrong in any of those things
1: not not at all it's not it, it, what he's doing at any moment in this and i think they even agree over the course of the episode he's not doing anything wrong he's just wanting to be around a person that he loves and cares about maybe some of the things of where he's just staring at her while she's looking at the fridge we see from her perspective can be a little bit creepy just in how nope. she takes it nope. but i'm looking at this going i don't think he's doing anything wrong personally R- no nope. were you of the same mind uh i mean I think I think
0: it's fully acceptable to stare at Keeley. So yeah, I think it's, it's absolutely reasonable. <laughs> she makes a
1: living off people staring.
0: Yes, this is true. <laughs> absolutely reasonable. No, I think I think it's mid the 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 whole montage is meant to show you that Roy's maybe a little bit too in her face. But I feel like they could have maybe given us scenes that further reinforce that. Because what I was
1: I know what they were trying to do, but what I was seeing didn't seem that weird. And I don't think they were trying to set it up as weird. I think they're more more the point of the focus in this episode is. Keely needs something, and it's not unreasonable. And the fact that Roy wants to spend time with her is not unreasonable. The two of them just need to talk, and they could perfectly square those two things out. But they don't, and so it blows up and goes bad. So I have
0: a question for you. On this podcast previously, you have slammed, I mean, in no uncertain terms, slammed the television show Friends.
1: Okay. Okay. No, no, no. Go on. No. Didn't this feel
0: like a friends episode? The one where Roy and Keely fought. Like, it's basically like Roy and Keely fight. Ted has an issue that is not resolved. Nate has an issue that's not resolved. Boom, bang, bing. 30 minutes. Give us our 10 million viewers on a Thursday in the 90s.
1: A bit. Though the direct point of comparison the episode itself draws is Sex in the City. And so I'll stick with that one. Okay. All right. Continue with the recap. Meanwhile, Nate. With the song still playing, is as if we was in the last episode, and will be the entirety of this episode, browsing a Twitter spiel of how wonderful oh. he is. Oh no, Nate! Don't now. Do I it. know you do this with the reviews for this podcast, but I think you would agree, not the most healthy way to spend all your time. It is. It's. I mean, like
0: I do appreciate the reviews, folks. Please review, uh, and I read them. But we are lucky in that we have a. Small, small audience who likes us and the reviews are positive. So, uh, I mean, and sometimes they're constructive and like, hey, can you do this segment? Can you lay off? Hey, like, I, I'm done with the basketball references. Can you please stop that? <laughs> Stuff like that. It was a um, personal attack when that one happened. The, the issue here with Nate is that he this is abjectly not constructive it is abjectly detrimental um and it's just noise in the void and it's um man this is going to seep its way into life lessons by the way but man he does not need to be doing this
1: the issue with Nate is that he doesn't have a world outside of it. It, this isn't just you know like adding to the experience of his life it is the only validation he's getting and that's how he's building himself around is that people love me this is great this is who I am and he has nothing outside of that to really function to develop a healthy base from we Spencer, see it go dark real quick here.
0: Have we ever seen in shows that you and I have worked together on? And there's been many. Check them out at megamdocs.com. Mm-hmm. Have we ever seen a character with less self confidence than Nate?
1: I Min mean, not not portrayed as realistically as this. I feel of it's often where there's a character that's mocked for being the nerd and for lacking confidence. And it's a, tr- a specific. Tr- it's like it's their Flander Flander-ist kind of focus of their character is that. Nate isn't that. We're more seeing what results from that. And that's much more interesting in my mind to see play out.
0: I think that the closest I could get is maybe Roman Roy on Succession. Whew.
1: Maybe. But but, Roman he, but he
0: st- I think he still has more confidence than Nate does. And by the way, we're going to review, we're gonna review Succession Season 2 when that comes out in the fall. So folks, Oop. if you like Succession, we're there. Roman Roy is close. Great. But man, he, it, I, 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 he has such low self-confidence. And they, they really do portray it well.
1: I actually like Roman's example too for Roman and it's in some ways driven by the same kind of original sources if we both of these characters we see a lack of love or sometimes straight up abuse from their fathers it's really informed a lot of where they're coming today in terms of lack of confidence and how that plays out for Roman it plays out in debauchery and just not giving a fuck for Nate it plays out in just spirals of reaffirmance to be able to get through the damn day and abusing those around him. Um, but, as we see, when he arrives at his parents' house, we find that his dad is yelling at the news. And unlike my dad, <laughs> not even yelling at the TV, he's yelling at the newspaper.
0: Yeah, that's, that's funny. That's old school, man, yelling at the newspaper.
1: Uh, we see him and his wife share a pleasant moment together. And it's interesting, because she comes over and she just kind of mocks him. And he responds to smile and laugh with her.
0: He them- that, wh- Isn't that interesting? He's such yeah. a fucking... Asshole, all the other time, but he clearly loves his wife. I thought that was a very interesting thing they threw
1: in there. It provides a fascinating focus for then how much he turns the moment Nate walks into the room. Because, you Mm -hmm. know, Nate walks in, he's brought his mom flowers, they share a nice moment. Yep. His dad doesn't even acknowledge his existence, doesn't greet him, doesn't say a word to them. Nate has to actually, you know, move one of those wonderful bo- boxes that him and his niece make. It's his niece, I think, that makes it with him, right? That yeah, it's his niece, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moves one of those little mouthy boxes that he likes to use previously, and then has to actually greet his dad for his dad to even acknowledge him. And even then, all his dad says is, Nathan, it, it, nothing, no warmth at all. He's complete, become a complete sourpuss when we see him having emotion and, and responding well to his wife seconds before his son walked into the room.
0: I've previously compared Nate's dad to Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince. He's worse than Uncle Phil. Hey, oh, do you yeah. think? Do you think that that little box that Nate got was like his niece congratulated him for the great game? I felt I like that so, was like yeah. a present. Yeah,
1: it was left. It was left seemingly left pointedly in his chair. As if, right. You know, exactly. Ce- mm-hmm. Celebrating you. These are the things we've made together for the team. Here's a new one for you and your team. And that's a really nice gesture. I'd love to meet Nate. Nate apparently has a sibling out there, and that would reform, help maybe help us inform a lot of his psychology and a lot about his background. We've not met yet, so I would like to meet Nate's other family at some point. Um, again, nothing from his dad at all, barely even acknowledged his existence, but Nate, as he looks up the newspaper, sees that his wonder kid persona is on the back page of the sports section. A wonder kid. Uh, he self-deprecatingly notes to his dad, I don't know, they will put him in the paper now, just to try to get his, some response from his dad at all. The kind of way you do where you self-deprecate yourself to try to get someone else to fill in the void and complimenting you.
0: Uh, <laughs> Which, by the way, don't do, folks.
1: <laughs> I do that all the time. Don't do that's, it. It's um, not great, yeah. <laughs> in response to his son being in the paper. Your son's in a major newspaper. Your son's all over the waves. In a full-page spread, by the way. His dad responds, only, they say humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. Oh! Your son is fishing for a compliment on something that you should have been offering effusive praise, and you offer that little nugget of fortune cookie wisdom just to hammer him down a bit more about showing any degree of pride in what he's accomplished. Yep. It's clearly crushing for Nate that even this this kind of thing isn't enough to register him on his dad's radar, and so much so that even his mom's compliment and the happy box that he sees there in front of him, um, clearly become in his mind sour and mocking as a result. So, ending on what should have been a celebratory moment for Nate, we sit end on a sourpuss note and go into our intro at the two fifty nine mark, which feels like ruffling about the middle.
0: Yeah, about about the middle. I actually had it at three oh three, but whatever. It's it's right
1: it's, about three minutes is average. They start with black screens. It's just a question of when you want to start your timer. Because it's just like, when does the episode open and when does the ad end? Not clear. Yeah.
0: yeah. Good ad, though. <laughs> that first so, 47 seconds. Solid ad. <laughs>
1: uh, um, once we leave the intro behind, Ted, seemingly on the next day after where we last left things, is back in Dr. Sharon's office. There to thank her for helping him with the hiccup the other night and to claim that he's feeling great doesn't really need to meet with her again
0: so predictable i'm good now yeah all good yep yep fine it's nope, like the, it's like the guy who gets drunk and cries and the next day it's like ah, uh, yeah i don't know it yeah you know, it's just kind of a weird night right anyway what do you want to get for lunch
1: yeah I, I was drunk it was nothing other than that i was drunk you know there's nothing to report about let's go another lives don't talk about it again and then two weeks later he's back on your doorstep um she invites him to make himself comfortable and then he proceeds to spend i think it's like three minutes straight desperately being uncomfortable and trying to find a way around it see this i found like i it's a joke
0: right but it is too long it's like you're right it's minutes of this physical comedy
1: that like i was just bored i think its objective here was not to be entertaining it was ted trying to be ted and failing it was ted being uncomfortable in his own skin in a way that makes a lot of what the usual Ted-isms suddenly now appear awkward. I were not trying to be entertaining. They nailed it. I I think they were purposely subverting (laughs) how much Ted has been entertaining before, but now when we see him visibly uncomfortable in his own skin, how very awkward that that can be. So he goes between the couch, he goes between the chair, he does various posture things, all ending with him trying to do the whole lay-down-on-the-couch classic thing from cartoons, and her just suggesting, eh, how about you sit in the chair? They... make various television comparisons to their situation. He admires her little drinky-drinky bird that i seemingly in every psychiatrist's office and every television show ever. Or the little like balls that bounce it. around. It's like we're on an episode of Sopranos without all the gratuitous violence, which is a good thing. But also less spaghetti and clams, which is a bad thing. Absolutely. Uh, they discuss the need for tissues, which Ted seems confused by. And all the while, she really just kind of lets Ted go. This, really, the point of this is just let yeah. Ted find a place where he's able and willing to talk. And so... He's even confused of when, She's like, ah, well, how do we start? She's like, we did. Moment you walked in, we're three minutes in right now of you getting used to the environment and finding a way to be comfortable speaking today. She tries to invite him to not worry, it's okay, and then prompts him specifically, how about we talk about what was happening last night? That prompt alone, with all of this lead in, with all this trying to make himself comfortable is enough that he immediately runs for the hills and exits the room with the focus of the camera drifting back to the now no longer nodding little drinky drinky bird which given that they return to that little bird every single scene that ted's in with dr sharon feels like they're using as a bit of a metaphor for an or analogy for ted in terms of what he's going through that when that thing stops bobbing as ted often tries to nod happily through situations we get to a more serious moment wow
0: what well, man Way to pull that out. That was, that was great analysis, Spencer. The the cause, Yeah. Cause he, he always is like bobbing head, but then he stops. I like that. Two things. One, um, if you go to a psychiatrist's office, your first time, I know there's a couch there, but don't make yourself at home. Don't put, prop your feet up. Don't lay on the couch with your feet. That's all. That's unacceptable. Don't do that. Just sit there. I mean, it's a doctor's office. And two, um, I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. This episode, Spencer, about, oh God. about, Wow. Ted's reaction to trying to engage in, in therapy because you have previously said on this podcast that you are not a super big fan of therapy for yourself personally. So I want to mm-hmm. clarify one thing when I ask you these questions. It's not that I'm like trying to probe into like no, you're probably, you're probably, I'm not. I, but what I'm interested in is is the, the perspective of people who don't like therapy, right? I think you can kind of talk for people who are a little skeptical of therapy because... I come at it from such a position of like, I, I'm so positive about therapy. I've done it my entire life that I'm really interested to see people who, who either don't engage in therapy or who don't want to, how do they feel about how Ted's acting here? Do they feel some cool. sort of kinship or do they think it's over the top? That's what I'm interested
1: in. Man, just as background as we go through, this would be fascinating to explore. I like Ted have gone to therapy before and did not have very good experience with it. And so between that and general degree of, Discomfort with the idea Midwestern skepticism I'm bringing a lot of Ted To this podcast When it comes to I'm very much understanding Where he's coming through On some of these things And at least sympathizing with it Even if I see how it's going wrong
0: See that's great So that's what That's what I want to explore As we go Yeah Great
1: great. Uh, So Ted leaves Now down at training And this is one of a couple moments Where we see Ted Give advice to other people Which feels like he's trying To justify his own life decisions Rather than necessarily Frame it as the best advice For them what he's taken often makes sense, but you see almost where it seems all to be aimed inward, of where he encourages essentially the team to hide what they're actually feeling. And this is the main subject of his advice, of where he offers that you know, first thing, never let the other team see your uh, know your home address, otherwise they'll go full jerky boys on you. And two, don't let them know that you're tired. Don't let them know that you're weak. Don't show that kind of thing to them, because I'll only, only face I want to see out of you is. Uh, yeah. What did he What did he say? Game face. Oh yeah, Game Face, baby! Um, darn, t- so, darn, t- Vladimir Putin.
0: Yeah, so um, I, the reason I uh, was pausing there is because I wanted to make a point. You're right that I think this is some parallel to what Ted does, right? This sort of like hide your feelings thing. But it's also like super great advice from a coach. Like you really do need to do that in sports. Like the second you start huffing and puffing, they're gonna put
1: their foot on your neck. So it is not a good idea to show that you're tired in a sports sport uh, game. And he's gonna give advice to Keely later that is not necessarily good advice for that situation, but you also can understand the foundation for it as well. So Ted's never going to give you a bad advice. You often just feel like he's sometimes speaking to himself as much as he's speaking to you. Right. Um, the team divides up uh, to go with different coaches, with Danny and Beard's group left behind. And the team starts to kind of do that thing that friends love to do, where they rib you a little bit. They start ribbing Nate on the subject of, hey, are you too big for us now? You know, the, wonder, uh, the, the new all-star and everything else. Nate politely responds to the one meeting ribbing from both Danny and Jamie. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, funny, whatever else. Then Colin steps up. and Lucky Colin, us, we get to be trained by the Wonder Kid himself. And note that he says one, the Wonder Kid thing. The last two didn't say the Wonder Kid thing. Colin hits that one. And with that, Nate responds, but rather than just politely brushing it off, he fires back. Offering very funny, Colin. You stand up comic now. Kind of ironic because I set you down on the set you down on the match the other day. Ooh, which burn. It's, it's a good burn. Everybody loves it. Everyone just thinks that Nate's just returning fire. Everybody just kind of laughs it off. Colin even smiles to it. It's a good fun. They're completing the ribbing kind of experience. Players go to run off, but then Nate takes it farther, of where he instead. Exits good comedy, and once the team leaves, follows up by excluding Colin from training. Beard's little. Doesn't, he, doesn't
0: the, he say, I want all my best scores on the pitch? Colin, you can sit this one out?
1: Yeah, that's the exact language they use, which Colin Ooh. thinks that he's referring to the whole group, but then he realizes that Nate's specifically excluding him. Colin's confused and just kind of returns to repeating his mantra to try to get I am through this. I'm a strong
0: experience. and capable man. I'm
1: a strong Beard.
0: and capable man.
1: Beard is equally confused by that. But he's also notably watching it on all of this, with seems like a certain measure of concern.
0: Well, it's interesting. Beard's reaction, I thought, was really subtle because he does appear to be enjoying the ribbon. Like he's kind of smiling along with the ribbon. But he seems to notice that Nate doesn't go to a good place because his face gets concerned toward the end. So he he kind of has that, that journey that I think all the viewers are, which is like, oh, this seems fun. Oh, and like something to point out here is that someone with as low a self-confidence as Nate has, in my experience, generally can cannot participate in the sort of friendship, fr- the 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 fun ribbing, yeah. and the sort of like give each other crap. Because I I have made friendships on doing that. I love Absolutely. doing it. It's covered on this pod before. It's one of my favorite things to do. And and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from friends in the past. They think it's funny. They enjoy it. People with super low so, low self confidence typically can't engage in it. And this is not the only time we see this. This episode from Nate.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And I, it, 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 it's a very accurate point on your part of where if you don't have a good enough foundation to be content with someone just politely mocking you, you can't tolerate it. You don't know how to take it. You don't. It, there's no divide between polite friendship just kind of mocking various aspects of you, part of recognizing and appreciating the whole of what you are, and fundamental attack in my character that I cannot recover from. In terms of things that people are having trouble recovering from... Back in the locker room, Sam is obsessing over banter because it's now been two days and his message has been left there hanging.
0: Message, uh, just to fill everybody in, that was the message where he said, maybe we should meet. This is the first time I think they bro- broached the subject than what we now know as Sam and Rebecca um, of actually meeting each other.
1: Yeah, and Boss Girl has not offered anything in response. And to make it even worse, there are signs with those little triple dots that appear that she's co- possibly responding and then nothing actually comes. The team is both commiserating and ribbing and debating whether she's dead and if it's better, you know, it's better that she is. And assessing whether Ratatouille is indeed the greatest film of all time, which it is indeed marvelous. Maybe not the greatest film of all time, but it's an absolutely wonderful film.
0: Yeah. Um, So first off, I don't like the Ratatouille slander, and I'm glad that Keeley comes in off the top rope for dealing with that. Question for you, Spencer. Um, Top three Pixar movies. Can you can you name them? Because I'll start while you think. Yeah, please. Okay. Um, number one, with a bullet, Wally. Number oh. two, yeah, number two, Up for me. And number three
1: is Ratatouille. Wally and Ratatouille would definitely be up there on that list. Up, I've never liked as much as other people have. Where I think it's got a wonderful opening, and then a lot of the rest of it, I didn't necessarily, it, the relationship between the old guy and the kid didn't necessarily work for me, and the film is built around that relationship. Uh, but those two would definitely rank very high. In terms of number three, I'm about to pull up a list of Pixar films. You're
0: you a Finding Nemo guy?
1: Finding, Finding Nemo was a solid choice. Uh, here, pull up a list. 24 feature films they've got at this point? Jesus Christ. You uh, a lot of them. Wait, while you look them up, I want to make a point.
0: Everyone who has had a crush and is texting with somebody who hasn't turned read receipt off <laughs> has has done the three has done the three-dot obsessing thing. It's such a relatable thing that Sam is doing here.
1: I thought of it. I mean, it's, uh, Toy Story would probably rank in the top five, but for oh, me, shit, it's, I missed Toy Story. Yeah, Toy Story three, shout out. It, I even like Toy Story one better. Though I think Toy Story three affected me more just emotionally than Toy Story one did. But really, gotta be a way up on the list for me. Inside Out, I love that film. Wonderful Pixar film.
0: Yeah, and they recently did a really good jazz one too. About some. I've not seen that one yet. I need jazz. to watch that. Out <laughs> that one's
1: salad too. Okay. okay, we'll do we'll do Pixar. Just like all the Pixar movies in this podcast at some point. But yeah,
0: maybe on the Mangum Talks TV thread.
1: Uh, I said, the team's commiserating. They're trying to, you know, really try to bolster as much as they can. But when they see the three dots appear again and no response ah! comes through. Oh, everyone's just like, oh, sorry, man. You know, it's dead. You're dying. Nothing, nothing that we can done here.
0: Maybe she got hit by a bus.
1: In Rebecca's office. I love that they think that's a better alternative. It's like, no, it's not that she's rejected you. She's dead. Much Maybe better scenario. she got scenario. Hit by a train. Uh, Rebecca's office, we see that she's in the act of possibly sending a message but can't go through with it. Keeley and Higgins are trying to psych her up to actually respond and, you know, arrange for the banter meetup, all while continuing to have the Ratatouille debate, which, as you said, I love that Keeley just steps in to say, no, it's a wonderful film and it's perfectly on point for this situation.
0: Ironically, it's about snobbery and how good art can come from anywhere, so stop your dithering and
1: fuck your goddamn rat. I love that line so much. Go fuck your cartoon rat is just a wonderful way of encouraging someone to get the hell out of the house.
0: (laughs) I've talked before about how I really enjoy the acting of the lady who plays Rebecca. Uh you enjoy a lot of things about the lady who plays Rebecca. I enjoy the acting a lot. There's a moment here in this scene that just had me rolling as boring as I thought this episode was. And it was when Keely says, You you need to respond to him. It's been two days, and Rebecca is like half chewing something. Mm-hmm. And she just turns around like mid-chew and goes, I don't know what to say. Like, it's like <laughs> such a childish thing. And it's so like, it's so like exactly what she's thinking. Yeah. And such a human moment. I thought it was
1: acted just top tier, A and, and you understand Rebecca's psychology here, because from her perspective, and she even says it, all relationships that she's known and experienced have inevitably failed. So why start again? Something that you know is going to go nowhere. Yeah, that's tough. Meanwhile, her other two data points of comparison are Higgins, who says Higgins. that this relationship is the relationship that is the oxygen that gives him life. Which uh, leads Rebecca to concede that apart from Leslie's marriage, which is a bloody greeting card of some kind. Hello. And Keeley, which Rebecca refers to as them, be, her and Roy being aggravatingly perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. Keeley takes that compliment and then gets that face on her that immediately tells Rebecca... Oh, we need to talk about something now, right? Don't we? Yep. Keely reveals that having a bit of a snag because he's just like a constant shadow to her and she never gets to be alone. And question for you. In a relationship, are you a person that needs that kind of separate alone time away from your partner? Because not everybody does. But I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize how much they kind of do.
0: So I'm always the guy like when we like. So when we go out for like a weekend, right back in the normal world when we could. And like all of our friends would all of our friends would get together. I was always the guy that was like more. Like let's keep hanging out. Let's do more. Um, I'm I draw energy off of people most of the time. So I don't need a lot of alone time in a relationship. Maybe maybe twenty minutes here or there. Like literally that's it. Like I I can be I can be right next with somebody all the time because I'm an extrovert. I draw energy off of people. You?
1: This is one of the ways where it could be weird to people that we're so so close friends because you know me I am the exact opposite of that of you where really are. Yep. as much as I love my friends love hanging out with everybody else even among that group it can be draining and I need my alone time so even in a relationship with somebody I very much care about alone time is essential doing our own thing and be comfortable doing our own thing is an essential kind of thing yep, yep. And everybody works differently there.
0: Uh, one thing you have field. to do. One thing you have to do as an extrovert is notice someone. Like I have to notice you, and I have to notice your bars. It's almost like a video game, and I see your bars start to. It's <laughs> training, And that's stomach. that's when I'm like, hey, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go exercise. I'm gonna get
1: out of yeah. here for a little while. God, you're so good about appreciating that because so many extroverts, it's just not the world they operate in, so they don't understand how an introvert works. And on the opposite perspective, like seeing people deal with the pandemic, I had to constantly understand that. Oh, for me, this is just, it's its a thing. It's not great, but whatever. And then there were extroverts that were dying inside me, in their own I homes. I hate it. Now, Keely you know, reveals that this is a bit of a problem. She's not really comfortable with this just in time for Roy to then walk in and for Rebecca Higgins to hilariously start jazz-scatting to
0: cover and distract the situation. I think we're going to we're gonna have to institute this on the podcast. Whenever anything awkward comes up in the recap, I'm just going to start
1: jazz-scatting. Roy correctly and immediately deduces that they were talking about him, helped by the fact that Keeley just straight up admits it. But then Roy Fashion just kind of shrugs, says big whoop, and is like, time to go. Two of them leave. Moment they walk out of the door, Higgins starts them up, and they start jazz scanning again. One thing I've noticed,
0: Keely, I don't think I ever catch a lie. I don't think she ever lies to Roy. Every time he asks, "Are you are you talking about me?" she says, "Yep." I don't think I, I in this entire episode, even though they're having the friends level fight, the one where Keely and Roy have a fight, I don't think he ever she ever lies to
1: him. And this is the big difference from the friends kind of comparisons, whatever else, of where even when Keely will start to lie or start to distract or cover in the same conversation, sometimes even the same sentence, she'll go back to what it is of like, I think it was last season of when Roy said, you slept with Jamie to get back at me kind of thing. And her immediate son says, no, no, of course not. Maybe kind of. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what I did. Yep. And, and that's a key thing. It's so much of relationships on television are two people lying to each other and then the yep. drama and fallout of that happening. These two don't do that. They have their snags, as we see in this episode, but they're goddamn adults about them.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, we exit with Jazz Scatting to go back to Keeley's house, of where she is doing what I do all the damn time, looking at the massive list of things to do on her computer and looking and feeling paralyzed before them. <laughs> Roy offers to help by basically presenting sexy distractions, which is great, but not what she needs right now. She enjoys it, but she stops him and directs him to go sit on the couch and read Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code. Question. Have you read The Da Vinci Code, by the way?
0: Yes, I've read The Da Vinci Code. God, fucking he, read The Da Vinci God, Code. God, yes. he's 20 years late on this book. It's, uh, it's uh, That's the funny part, right?
1: But it's, it's hilarious because no one's read The Da Vinci Code since that like one, two-year period where everyone read The Da Vinci Code.
0: And notice he has a beat-up paperback copy, too.
1: Yeah, he, got, he picked this off somebody's shelf or got it from a used bookstore kind of thing. Um, but... He's loving it the way everybody does in the moment of reading the Da Vinci Code because that's what Mind Dan Brown's has got at. Blown. Yes, Templars. Uh, however, while I'm your man by spiritualized, then begins to play in the background. Keely can't stop being turned on by, distracted uh, <laughs> by Roy, purportedly for the reason of you're doing exactly what I tell you, and it is so fucking hot. She climbs on. They have a good snog, and the Ooh. scene then hilariously cuts perfectly to then sprinklers going off in the stadium as we exit to black the next day Ted has arrived back in dr Sharon's office for another go she yep. seems surprised I think it's fair to say that he's there but he simply yep. responds yeah well I don't quit things
0: well did you notice that he walks in when she's on the phone and he just sits down he is he's rude from jump street in this interaction
1: yeah he's coming in here with a purpose right now um, she's caught off guard by this. This is not really a side of Ted that she's ever seen before. Um, we, the oh, we line about, I
0: mean, he's just abjectly mean.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, it's interesting to see the repeated line about, I don't quit things, because that's the last thing we saw him say is, said to his wife in person, was that he promised he would never quit things. So, building off that kind of informs a bit of this conversation there, too. Uh, she asks him how he's doing. He reports that he's swell, as well as fine and dandy, and... You ever did that kind of phrase when someone just says the word fine and, you know, when they say it, that, oh, dear God, they're about to attack me? Or, oh, th- oh they're having a horrible moment?
0: Pretty much 80% of the time I hear the word fine. That's really what's going on. That is a, that is a very big, like, uh, like blinking yellow light.
1: Yeah, fine is, I don't want to answer anymore, shut up, kind of response to that question. Um, she asks, you know, really the kind of points to this is where once he says, you know, swell as is as fine and dandy, I think some of her hackles start to go up. So she'd be like, oh, well... Tell me, if you had any prior therapy sessions? He reveals a bit of the couples therapy that we've heard about before, which we know didn't go great in any sense of the word. Mm-hmm. She's new to this. And also started, offers a bit of insight into the distrust in her profession. Well, in terms of couples therapy, in his words, well, let's see. I'm here in London, and my wife's back in Kansas, which is a good thing, because if she heard me referring to her as my wife still, she'd be hopping mad. Ugh. Rough line. He then turns on Doctor, Sh- uh, turns on Doctor Sharon, focusing on the idea that she's charging for an hour despite only fifty minutes of work, and says bluntly that he's not a fan of her and her profession because, upon prompting, that she's only interested in him, that she's not, she's only interested. The while she says she's only interested in the truth, and he offers what his version of the truth is. He thinks that's bullshit. They don't know the each quote. other. Yeah, please, offer me the full one.
0: Because I think it's bullshit. You don't know me. We don't have a history. And yet you expect me to spill my guts all about the gory details of my life, the fights, the mistakes, the deep, dark secrets. But you ain't listening because you don't care about me. No, you're only listening to me because you're paid to listen to me. You're getting paid to just jot down your little notes and diagnose my tears. And then what? Probably blame it on my folks, right? Yeah. So basically the the crux of his argument here is um, you're asking me to reveal something about myself that I'm not comfortable doing that I probably don't do to anyone else. And I don't trust you because you're a paid professional. In essence, that's what it is.
1: You, if you want, to, you want to hit a bit of the kernel of my. Distrust don't ask me for, to.
0: Don't ask me to lose my virginity to a prostitute. It's basically what he's saying.
1: You want to hear? You want to hear a phrase that I've never ever imagined Ted saying? That phrase right there. <laughs> but yes, yeah. def, definitely that category. And also summarizing a bit of my distrust of a lot of a lot of forms of medical professionals, both therapists, psychiatrists, even doctors to a certain degree, uh, in terms of personal interaction with them.
0: Well, that's that's this is exactly what I was talking about before. I wanted to get your take on this, this sort of argument, right? Do you, when you, because you've talked, you've talked before, you you don't really like the idea of therapy for you. Mm -hmm. Um, You're distrustful of it for you. Is part of this part of it that you think maybe they're disingenuous, they don't really care because they're paid, they're being paid to listen?
1: I think that's definitely, I think that there's definitely a kernel of it. Well, it's just comfort and borrow my soul period to see go- Ted going through period. But then to somebody that has no investment, who has no care beyond the paycheck I give them or whatever else, they just arranging for an appointment on their time that I, then, that, that I then sit through factors in for a lot of what feels like a very uncomfortable experience.
0: Hmm. Okay. Interesting.
1: So a lot of what Ted sees here is grounded in feelings I have, even though I fully recognize the importance and value of therapy for people that aren't me. Yeah, um, that's why I
0: try, to cl- I try to couch everything. Absolutely. You're, you're, not, you're talking for yourself. You're not talking for everybody. T- I think that's important.
1: And, and I feel like Ted's attacking the profession here in a way that I that I wouldn't. Of where I'm more talking about the feeling I get from it and the feeling that I have in it. Ted's seemingly has a fundamental distrust of the entire conception of it. Yeah.
0: Ted's, uh, Ted's flat wrong here, but we'll talk about it when she provides her counterpunch later.
1: Now, as noted, when Ted sat down briefly, the head, the head little drinky tricky bird was bobbing. Ted, once he completes this little spiel, calls it all Done. bullshit and storms out. Sharon's looking a little, almost like a little concussed, looking a little bit hurt by some of the lessons that, some uh, things that he just said. And the camera focuses on the, uh, the now very non-bobbing drinking, drinky bird, yep. which we're going to return to that every time we see this, these kind of scenes. Uh, Nate and Rebecca are now back out in the hallway and they are just dwelling over their phones again, because that's what they do. The entire episode is just dwell over their phones. When Rebecca bumps into Sam, hmm. they have that kind of brief, awkward conversation, hmm. which hmm. Yeah, 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 is centered around, uh, really, about how these machines connect to you, but they don't bring you closer, which is kind of summarized in this scene, where two people that have been chatting through their phones actually meet for a little bit, and they got nothing to say they're when they're They're only
0: interested in their phones, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I've had some. I've read some fans say on the scene, oh, look at this, they're vibing, they're going to be a couple together. Did you get any of that from this scene? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: no, I thought it
1: was very awkward. Yeah. I, I didn't pick up that at all, but I think some yeah, people are getting, I think some people are getting maybe too invested in their relationship, but we'll see where it goes.
0: I thought it was uh, two people who don't know how to talk to each other. It's pretty awkward.
1: Yeah. I think that's very much what it was. Uh, back in the coach's office, Will, the kit man, operatically announces that the pins have arrived, expecting some degree of reaction from Nate, Nate doesn't even acknowledge his existence. Returned to this whole thing about his dad earlier. I just uh, want to
0: give a shout out real quick to my wife. Nothing makes her happier than buying her pins. Literally. <laughs> that's the, she loves pins. I just lost it watching this. Like thinking of, mm-hmm. wow, this would be the greatest gift in the world for her. And uh, poor Nate. Uh, not that- poor Nate. No, actually, not poor Nate. I'll get into my Nate thoughts later. Nate the asshole uh, no. does not does not um, acknowledge it at all. But yeah, my wife would love this. given her their pins.
1: I sympathize with Nate as a person, not any of his actions over the course of this episode. He is despicable throughout most of this episode. I've got a Nate rant later. It's common, folks. Uh, These look also like a giant tin of red pens. Does anyone ever need that many red pens for any purpose whatsoever? I have never
0: once in my life ever needed a red pen, but I've gotten red pens. Red pens are the decaf coffee of the pen world. Oh! decaf coffee coffee, always available no one ever wants it red pen always there always an
1: option who picks a red pen nobody i I think a red pen exists for the sake of teachers to mark tests and outside of that purpose i don't even want that with somebody else marking my work i can't read it as well give me a dark pen i can understand that you wrote it just it's very aggressive thing to do when you mark up a paper absolutely uh i said nate can't even be bothered to respond colin then arrives walks in I like that Colin shares an immediate joke and laugh with Will, which really shows how far Colin has progressed from abusing Nate as the kit man last season. And how the team
0: likes Will. It's very apparent in this season, season, really, but this episode as well, that they really like
1: Will. They've taken to him. Nate's the only one that has a problem with him. Absolutely. Uh, And Colin comes in for, again, this shows just how much Colin has matured, really, to just having had that moment with Nate on the pitch, he immediately just goes to say, hey, I just wanted to check and see whether... We have a problem whether I've done anything to annoy you, just based on what just happened a minute ago. Which is absolutely the thing that she should do here in private in this room. That's the correct thing to go about right there. Noting that, hey, Danny and Jamie did the same thing and didn't respond to them. So it's just, is there anything personal between the two of us we need to work out right now? Nate proceeds to answer his question. Oof. Duh. Oof. It's brutal. It, it, I mean, we can recount the details of it, but it basically boils down to, well, they're awesome, and you're absolutely not. Which is a horrible thing to say to another person, but then he frowns it in detail of, well, you know, they're like artists, like Picasso and Gauguin. Pedophiles? Uh, no, no, the artist. The artist side mm. of things. Um, and you, on the other hand, um, you make art. You make art. not the kind you ever see in a museum. Uh, more like the kind um uh, that they would use to cover bloodstains on the walls at a holiday inn. Good God. Wow. That was, where did he find that one in the well of hatred? I I don't know. That's a creative, that that, that is that kind of, when you say something brutal to somebody and you also make it creative, it just cuts that much deeper. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, he just says, basically you make art, but it's shit art. It's just art. That's there. It's functional. So just go do that. And basically just shut up and go away. And he even started this conversation with not even being w- willing to look at Colin. He's just still just so focused on his phone the entire time and just browsing through the Twitter spiel of awesome. Then when he turns back, says this to Colin, he finishes and just turns right back to it. Just mm-hmm. letting Colin without a word to leave And Colin is just left obviously speechless and hurt. He doesn't have any he has no idea how to respond to a coach, his assistant coach, telling him that thing that no coach should ever say to a player. Beard Notably, from the other office, I'm presuming able to hear it through the glass, looks on clearly not happy at all, while Nate returns to his self-congratulatory spiral of Twitter and news articles. Uh, now, which are also reaching the tenor pitch and hyperbolicness that you always see news articles and Twitter do after time, all saying Nate should coach his own team
0: now. Yeah, Nate needs his own team. Question for you about this, this scene, Colin, Please. when he says, hey, um, you know, you got mad at me... Um, you know, when he's telling you know, Jamie and Danny did the same thing, but you got mad at me. He says this quote, just because I felt like you got angry at me for taking the piss yesterday. What the hell does taking the piss mean? Spencer, this is some British that really flummoxed me.
1: It's a British phrase for, for ribbing. It's taking the piss out of someone is basically letting a little bit of air out of their balloon. It's mocking them in terms of a friendly kind of way. Got it now. Thank you. Expression I've always particularly liked. So I've noted it for a while. Um, Two questions here. One, idea of Nate coaching his own team. On a scale of one to 10, is this a one absolutely horrible, the world may end idea? Or 10, the second coming of Christ? It is a, you, Nate is on a ladder and he is on rung
0: one of a 20 rung ladder that I believe he could potentially climb, but he is on rung one right now. And he, he shows that in this episode. Nate has... Nate, Nate has some serious serious issues about his yeah. self-confidence that he has got to he's got to overtake or at least start to deal with before he can be in any position of leadership because when you have such ingrained self-confidence issues that it that it displays the way that it is this episode from Nate and he's so preoccupied with what complete strangers are saying about him because he does not feel self-confidence himself there's no way he can lead a team it is. He is really, really uh, behind the eight ball on that one, I think. What do you think?
1: I think I absolutely understand agree. I also think it's also probably one of the more authentic portrayals of just how the hive mind of Twitter and news journalists work whenever they see somebody do a good thing. Of where they do one good thing in the first moment you've ever seen them, and now you think that they can do everything. And then there's the backlash to
0: the backlash, and the backlash to the backlash, and the backlash to the backlash to the backlash. It just kind of goes in cycles.
1: It's nuts. Uh, I get to see Nate experience a little bit of the backlash that's starting now on like day two, three after it happened by the end of the episode. Yep. But well, we're turning by the point here in a minute because we see a better scene of it later. Because we see Beard looking on at this like, well, that's going to be a thing to talk about. Does not Ted mean, Ted is meanwhile walking in the halls when he smells a bit of cigarette smoke in the air and follows it to the boot room, finding Keely enjoying a bit of a private time to herself. Uh, Higgins and Rebecca arrive shortly after when we learn two things. One, this is the room where smoking doesn't count. Great to know that place exists. <laughs> it's usually a bar. <laughs> it is, actually, yeah. And two, Keeley is desperately looking for a space away from Roy, who is presently in her office reading basically Dan Brown aloud, talking about Templars and shit. Uh, Will arrives, being apparently the only person that's working today, trying to, you know, look for boots in the boot room. Uh, while Keely explains that while she thinks that Roy is the cat's pajamas, another phrase I've always liked, Comes she just needs a moment to herself every now and then. Keely, and... stop
0: yeah. auditioning your your complaints.
1: <laughs> great line from Rebecca. Just tell the man. This isn't a big issue. Just talk to him. You're making it a big issue by not. Have you ever heard advice. that phrase before?
0: Stop auditioning your complaints. How many times in life do we do that? I... All the time we audition our complaints.
1: You want to know a line I'm going to reuse in the future? That one right there. Because it's such Absolutely. a perfect description of that kind of scenario.
0: I do it all the time. I, 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 I complain about something at work to my wife 10 mm-hmm. times in 10 different ways to prep for what I'm going to say at work the next day. I do it all the time.
1: This is now also the second moment of Ted, I think, justifying his life choices. Because upon Rebecca offering that very sage advice, he maybe says, well, I feel like some things should be bottled up. Maybe they can make awesome things. Like, you know... Uh, uh, like pickles pickles or vodka or uh, extra extra virgin virgin olive oil. oil or you know really good songs by the police a lot of things can go from bottling things up question for you spencer what are the
0: best things to bottle um i've got a couple here I think pickles are probably the biggest one P- historically.
1: Pickles got to be a top five. Pickles because, are awesome.
0: Yeah, because it basically like got people through winter, like back in the day, yeah. right? The, the ability to pickle things, that's huge in the bottle game. Number two for me, very modern thing, soda. Without bottling, you wouldn't get the fizzy bubbles, right? So the mm, carbonation, mm-hmm. very important. And three, I've got as best things to be bottled, prescription medicine with the childlike <laughs> pot.
1: Okay, we we went broadly with this, but bravo, sir. I'm going to expand to your first category to just be pickled things in general, because though pickles get all the press, there are a lot of really awesome things pickled. Like pickled beets, really damn good.
0: Yeah, pickled peppers, all
1: kinds of things. Absolutely. Uh, Once they go through the spiel about, well, things are great that are bottled, Jamie walks in just to add to the Roy discussion, filling this room now with people. Uh, Immediately it's revealed by Will that they're discussing Roy, to which... Jamie offers his summary of that he's a grumpy old twat. Uh, Keely and Ted take immediate umbrage to that of where Ted objects to certain to the word choice. And Keely says that, you know, no, Roy is awesome and great. And I know this because I spent every second of every day of every moment of every hour with this man. Clearly saying that, you know, she loves this dude, but it is very much getting too much very fast.
0: I love that when she said that you said it the right way. She actually fucks it up. She says, "I spend every minute of every second of every hour." She yeah, she, it's flipped.
1: <laughs> purposely wanted to do. It. I didn't do it the same way she did, but she purposely jumps <laughs> around in time. I don't think purposely.
0: Um, I think she's just befuddled.
1: Yes. Uh, Roy then arrives. Seems to again know exactly what they're doing and not care, and invites Keely to leave with it. Keely's house. Keely is watching a very on-point episode of Sex and the City, specifically. Season 4 episode, The Good Fight. Yes, I Wow, know, shut up. look
0: at you. I was wondering if you shut were going to deep cut into it.
1: Wow, look at that. Specifically, Sex Car- the
0: City guy over here.
1: We're not talking about this. Specifically, Carrie and Aiden blowing up on the subject of him invading her space. Holy shit that I learned something about you. This is Team, big. T. Aiden right here. Okay, uh, Royce sits down and immediately <laughs> then begins to read right in front of her from the damn... Tamp- <laughs> shut up! The damn book that he's got loud. <laughs> Uh, he's, uh, start. If we had that annoying thing, if we expect someone just to sit with you and you're doing your thing and they're going to do their thing and it'll be fine and they can't help but get you involved in their thing.
0: Uh, No, I haven't. Cause I'm the person who does it.
1: You son of a bitch.
0: Stop. Cause I guess I'll be sitting, like I'll be sitting on the couch with my wife and like, I'll be like watching something I know she doesn't care about. Like I'll be watching some, like some wrestling clip from 25 years ago. And, um, this is my life by the way and she's yeah. doing some work and i'm like hey did you did you ever see rick flair really go off on eric bishop before it's <laughs> like,
1: just like shut the hell up i'm the guy that does it <laughs> yeah roy is doing this with respect to a book that i'm pretty sure Keeley already knows dan brad uh, the da vinci code Everyone. he does hit he hits one thing very very accurate for that book where he says the short chapters you just can't put it fu- put it the fuck down dan Brown does do that perfectly of where it's quick little short chapters you just power through
0: I actually like that. I like that in the book.
1: I, I like it, too. It's evil genius in terms of how well it just keeps you in the book. Keeley, though, has clearly bottled things up way too long. Because she takes this moment, of which could have been a couple days ago, a very polite, simple conversation that would not have led to anything, and under pressure, she explodes. She fucking mm. explodes on Roy, revealing just how much... She desperately needs time alone and apart from him. Whoa. All while the scene from Sex and City is going on in the background at the exact same moment basically occurring. It Roy seems dedu- it's not
0: only women who have secret single
1: behavior. Thank you, Carrie. Uh, Roy deduces that this has been what she's been talking about all along with everyone else in their lives. Rather than telling him. And Roy, who thought this was just, you know, usual gossip and comments on his excess body hair really seems to take offense that she's revealing him as, uh, sorry, you're going to say that? You've got, you've been making out to everyone. Like
0: I've been following you around like a needy clingy fucking fridge magnet. I'm an idiot. Fuck this. I love the quote.
1: I love that quote. It's a great quote. I love Roy's ability to angrily describe something perfectly and uh clingy fucking fridge maggot. Needy clingy fucking fridge maggot is perfect. Um, and I think there's a certain degree of he actually is all realizing that, oh, shit, I have been kind of doing that. And, but you should have talked to me. I hate that. And then runs S- off with it. Question for you. Is Roy's anger justified? N- their feelings on each of this, her needing space and her being annoyed about her not telling him, perfectly justified. The volume that each presents this at, no. And it's entirely due to the two of them not talking to each other earlier about this that it's reached that kind of crisis point.
0: So maybe I'm the asshole, but I think his anger is justified. I would be mortified if my, my significant other was going around telling everybody, nope. man, he won't get away from me. I'm that makes you look like such a loser. Like, I'd be... I would be very unpleased, I'm unhappy with this.
1: And I think Roy's reaction is—I think Roy's feeling on this is perfectly justified. Him storming out of the room and leaving her for a couple days—probably not yeah. the best way to handle it, though. I agree. Yeah, I agree.
0: I don't do the silent treatment. I—that's I, I, no. a—I don't. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even going to wait till the end of, for the life lessons there. If you're, do not do the silent treatment, your partner. It is it, absolutely counterproductive to everything.
1: It helps nothing. You're just inviting the situation to simmer and stew and get all the worse by not talking about it, not addressing it.
0: This is this. The silent treatment to your partner is so bad that Spencer and I readily agreed on the subject. So just take that for what it's worth.
1: Consider that. That always (laughs) happened like four times in our lives. We're in agreement on this. (laughs) Now, this plays out. He runs off and Keely's left alone with nothing but her space and her tears and her regret that this played Hmm. out in this way.
0: Actress the next plays day. that well, the anger oh, jumping, because she has that bottled energy that she just needs to get out as soon as he leaves the room, um, and then then just, you know, starts crying. And then, after a moment of crying, tries to pull herself out of it. Great acting.
1: It's wonderfully done. It's perfectly authentic for that kind of reaction that moment, just because this is is all that she didn't want for how this to play out. It went disastrously in all of her worst nightmares kind of situation. Yep. The next day, we really get through like three or four days in this episode. Uh, Nate is listening. Is, With nothing is li- happening the whole time. Shut up. Things are happening. We're talking about them. Uh, Nate, do you think this is Nate listening to actually broadcast television or podcasts in his, in his earbuds as he's walking? His Apple earbuds.
0: Yeah, he's. I, I took it to mean it was a podcast he's playing over and over again.
1: I, that's probably my guess of where they're going with this. You know, podcasts. They're great to listen to, all, to at all times, you know. Um, Absolutely. Check them out on Apple Podcasts. Just search Magnum Talks. <laughs> even more emphasizing that, uh, this podcast is just hammering home, this is a man who needs his own team right now. Because apparently they think that's a great idea. Stupid. Uh, he arrives back in his office and Beard is waiting for him in the dark, alone, for Nate to arrive. How long he's been there, no one knows, but he's been prepared for this moment in his most Oliver Twist cap.
0: You were rude to Colin. Not just rude, it was personal and weird.
1: I love the way he describes that, because that's perfectly what it was, too. He, he confronts him of the treatment. Nate immediately just like offers a half-assed apology, but then goes to what he actually cares about. Have you told Ted? Have you gone and run to Daddy to rat on me?
0: Nope. this is just between me and you. Which, do better. By the way, if anybody out there can find it or create it, a, a T-shirt that says do better dash Coach Beard. I'm buying five of them. I, that's such a great T-shirt. Do better,
1: Coach Beard. I, I even love the way he ends it, too, of where he just basically says, do better. There's the door. Yep. We're done right now. Which I love. Sets up, gives Nate just enough time to turn around then realizes that his own office turned back and Beard has pulled a Batman and just disappeared from the room. <laughs> Which I'm g- guessing he ran through the window between their two offices and is now just hiding behind the counter. Yep. Question. You manage people. If you had yep. a support manager under your command, would you want him to bring these kind of things to you or address them the way Beard does between, between him and the other guy?
0: I am absolutely okay with Beard handling it with him. Like I don't need to get him like if beard can handle it the way that he did deliver the message, I don't need to get involved, but I do want to be made aware of it. Like, so I'm okay. I, I actually like when employees deal with things on their own, like and kind of mm. work it out without having me to have to go in and micromanage every single conflict. But I still want to be made aware of it because Ted has this moment later where he's like, did I miss something? It's funny. Right. But as a coach, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be that in the dark.
1: Yeah. I'm very much with you if we're, if you can resolve it in the moment, which Beard very much resolves it beautifully in the moment, do so. Absolutely. But weekly report, I want this on the spreadsheet that I, I can keep track of. Agreed. Uh, this moment happens. Keeley and Roy then drive up. And they uh, have notably... No, Roy drive, drives up. Keeley's been waiting for Roy. They've arrived in separate cars. As <laughs> you said, Keeley yeah. is waiting in the parking lot to have the talk. Yep. Some talk. Some interaction. But while Keeley broaches it, Roy... Barely even gives her a nod. Isn't interested even in finding about her finding out about her morning porridge adventures. He's given her Great the follow up question, working. babe. Keeley has the conversation with herself because she can't have it with Roy right now, and is clearly unhappy with the situation. People unhappy with the situation. Uh, Doctor Sharon's office once again, where we're here for round three of what is becoming a heavyweight match between her and Ted. Let's get Do-
0: ready to rumble.
1: Doctor Sharon doesn't even need to look around to know that Ted's already at the door. It's him that's knocking. And in each of these talks, it's been interesting to see the progression of we get less and less of the initial happy tit. There's less and less of the usual cover and bluster that he offers when he acts as anybody. By the time we've gotten to this moment, he's quiet, he's muted, he even looks a little bit chastened as he's sitting down in this chair. This is what she's been building up for. She's been letting, wanting him to vent and get through all this to get to actually a kernel and moment where she can help him. And it's taken three days... But this is the time where he's open and vulnerable and willing to speak in a way without all of the usual happy facade. She, uh, notably also, throughout this entire scene, uh, the drinky-drinky bird is not going. Ted actually stops it from bobbing before he actually even starts talking here. Dr. Sharon opens by confronting Ted about the things that he said the previous day and that she found them rather hurtful about her profession. Turning his comments definitely back on his own profession that you coach, you get paid to coach, and you do so despite the fact that you love it and you care for your players. Why would you assume that I would be any different? See,
0: that it's interesting that they have that back and forth because literally when you were saying that like a, you have a kernel of, you know, like this person's being paid to listen to me, I, I immediately thought like, well you represent your clients like as a lawyer and like you have their best interest at heart and you're working for them and trying to help them like to me i I almost wanted to draw the same parallel with you and your clients at the same way that she does with him and his players coaching
1: and it's a fair it's a fair point of comparison to draw i also see how many attorneys just don't even give a shit and just use and abuse their clients to their own purposes which awesome
0: okay well Uh, i don't know so i I thought dr sharon's rebuttal here was really strong because it was in, in my experience um, people go into psychiatry because they want to, it's self-selection. They go in because they want to help people most Mm -hmm. of the time. So I have generally dealt with people who really do care. Yes, they charge you. Yes, of course they do. They're professionals. They've been to school, et cetera. They have to make a living. But to say they don't care about you is, is in my experience, way off base. Um, I've had, I've never had a psychiatrist I felt like did not care about me.
1: And Ted doesn't have any response when she offers that she you you readily concedes the point that what he was doing yesterday was not actually trying to make a good faith argument, particularly against Doctor Sharon, but was just being was just lashing out as she describes it later. What he was really doing was you know recognizing that self care is scary and that fight or flight is a very natural response when confronted with these kind of moments. He just offered both at the same time, which watch you back, playing close. He went full fatal attraction. Never go full fatal attraction. As far as as we know, he didn't attack any bunnies, luckily. But we don't know about what he did in his off time. (laughs) Um, I'm here for you. Uh, They discuss that, Ted, you're scared. And you need to understand that you're scared. And maybe you don't want to learn more about why that is. But as she offers, Ted, the truth will set you free. But first, it'll piss you off. Man, is that a great line right there?
0: She's good. Doctor Sharon's good.
1: Uh, I, Ted good-naturedly calls her out. Well, should I start calling, nicknaming you the Truth? Then shout out, Paul Pierce. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that. She then smiles and spins her own very much lassoism of, "Well, I can't be your mentor without occasionally being your tormentor." Ooh, we- I like that one. I love that she's starting to speak his language. That she's understanding better how to actually interact with Ted. That when they first met, it were very standoffish. She was very put off, it seemed, by Ted. She even references here, like, "Should I assume that all coaches are macho assholes?" I think she did a bit when she first met Ted. Assume that's where he was coming from.
0: Yeah, or at um, least, or at least, completely disingenuous and condescending, right? I think she yeah. thought that a lot of his jokes were uh, condescending and like just dis- diminishing of other people. When in reality. It's, A, he's hilarious, two, a uh, little bit of insecurity on his part.
1: And I think our opinion of Dr. Sharon has turned probably more than any other characters in the series from when we first met her to now, in part because our opinion has been controlled by Ted's perspective of her. For previously when we first met her, we only really got to see her through Ted's lens of her being standoffish, almost rude to him, not willing to engage him on anything resembling equal terms the way Ted usually does, seemingly boxing him out from other players. Now that we've progressed and got to see more of her outside of just that lens, including in these moments, we see, and the actress does this beautifully, just how much compassion is in this person. How much caring that she is willing to bring to bear and stand to help other people. Her eyes shine through it perfectly perfectly with how much emotion she's representing in each of these moments. And it's really great to see that kind of arc as we've just understood that our limited lens at the start was not necessarily inaccurate, but not the most complete view of the character, as well as she's had character development herself, like you've noted of where she's greeting Ted on his own terms, understanding what he is rather than previously very much having her guard up around him.
0: And the same thing with the players, right? When she went out for one drink with the players after they won the quarterfinals, of the FA Cup. Uh, also, uh, I'd like to... Um... I'd like to point out just how spectacularly wrong I was about Dr. Sharon. If, you, if you're just joining us, in episode one, <laughs> Dr. Sharon was introduced, and I thought she was a one-off character. I thought she would play no part in the, in the season. It turns out she might be the most important character of the entire season. Beating so, heart. Beating heart so, of the season right here. So good Lord were you right about that one. I Man, off base.
1: At, even, the, even the moment when she diligently sets the tissues out, he, and Ted tosses them across the room it's a joke the two of them share and they laugh together over it. Yep. The two of them have finally been able to find some common ground, have finally been able to meet each other on some meeting in the middle kind of terms and they're better off for it and able to help each other for it or help him particularly here. 100%. At training, Ted is encouraging prostate breathing the way one does while also co- also quoting Master Ugwe. <laughs> I like that Will's trying to learn to juggle with the water bottles. He's, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> Will, is the, Will makes use of his time, damn it. He's Absolutely. The, his downtime, he's going to learn a skill. Learn but, as we say everybody else in this episode they've been slacking off they've been lollygaggers will working at every moment that we see him my guy uh while uh ted uh, once ted is offered his master Oogway quote he gives nate the floor saying have, have at it, it, jessica. it
0: jessica ref right? <laughs> we're right there together
1: <laughs> gonna give it to you you yeah always uh nate then offers i'm mean, gonna ask you to grade this apology once once we get to the end of it but He offers a stuttering apology to Colin for his actions the other day, upon prompting for the team, refers to himself as a cocky, prickish, wounded, butterfly's asshole, and says that he will never do it again. He moves in for a handshake, but Colin and the other team, wonderful people that they are in the lasso world that he set up for them, all come in to embrace him with a hug. Ted, as you noted previously, inquires with Beard, what the hell is this? Beard does not let him in on it, and Ted just kind of shrugs and says, give the quote, (laughs) This, this lasso is so a quote. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like I always say, sometimes the best stew is the one you left cooking all night because you fell asleep watching Citizen Kane after too many beers.
1: I love that even Beard just looks at him and says, where did that come from? It just looks at <laughs> Sometimes even the lasso world is too much for me. Peas yeah. and carrots, go with Roy. Rest of the beef chunks, go with Ted. Which Beard, everyone just looks, what what, Beard, please explain, and Beard has to offer his, you know, in, in, lasso to English translation of, you guys go with him. The rest go with me. Starters go there. Uh, reserve go with the, go, go with them. Why didn't he just say that then? I, was it Jamie that said that? Just yeah. say that then. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So you want me to grade Nate's apology? How graded on sincerity and graded on effect? Two separate grades.
0: Uh, D for sincerity. Uh, B minus for effect. Because the players want to believe Nate. They're rooting yes. for Nate. But I don't think it's sincere. Here would have been – let me offer a sincere apology from Nate had it been sincere. Please. Ready. Hey, Colin. Colin, I just want – in front of everybody, I just want to say that the other day um, I was – I pointed – I was targeting you, and I was I was rude to you when I should not have been. You should have been on the pitch playing with the rest of the guys. You're one of our best players. We really value you here. And in reality, what was happening, man, is I – I was just noticing they're crushing me on Twitter. And like, I don't know why I was paying so much attention to it, but I was, I know it might sound silly to you guys, but it was really affecting my day. I'm, and I'll put the phone down today and we're gonna have a good practice. Okay. Thanks everybody. That would have been, cause what you, what he needed to do was show some level of, um, what do you, what you call it? When you, vul- um, vul- vulnerability, vulnerability. You there, that, that's the word. Yes. Yeah. A little bit of vulnerability on his part. And he did not do that. It was a surface level. I'm sorry. That's it. Period.
1: Yeah, it, this was just words. This was even not even his own words. He's just quoting the words that they're throwing his way because he can't think of the words to even offer them in terms of the apology. So yeah, I didn't see it as being that meaningful of an apology at all. But as you noted, the team needs to believe it is. They need to believe that Nate's one of them. That he would of course offer a meaningful apology. A they even came in with
0: the group apology. hug. They gave him a group hug off that crappy apology, man. He's he's they're giving
1: him a lot to work with absolutely but he's just not giving anything in return because nate's not in a state where he can he's just he's a fragile fragile man right now All um, right, i'm
0: doing my nate rant now please give it to us nate no i want to wait till the end sorry boom there's one uh, more scene that that really necessitates it
1: oh god yeah there is uh roy meanwhile is dealing with his group and he whistles them dead by yelling whistle 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 <laughs> Tell me, sir, why does he yell whistle rather than use an actual whistle, as Isaac asks? Because my lips are sensitive to impure metals and whistles give me mouth eyes. The things we learn about Roy over the course of this show. (laughs) I love he owns them. He's not hiding this. Roy is always very open about, this is the reason I do things. This is how I work.
0: I like, you know, it's like Isaac asks him a very reasonable question. Hey, why are you yelling whistle? Why don't you use his whistle? And then Roy gives a response. And it's like
1: one of those, like, hmm,
0: the rare valid point, like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you really I should be using that. a whistle Yeah
1: <laughs> I, I've been confronted by honest-to-god truth In a way that people very rarely offer In response to questions I'll be quiet now hmm. uh, He confronts Jamie over a play of uh, Where in Roy's view He left a teammate unsupported and alone And he needs to be with him at all times Jamie then Accidentally, proceeds to give wonderful relation advice to Roy about the subject of trusting your teammate and giving him space and not crowding him. The actor here that plays Roy is uh, Brett Goldstein, and yes. I adore his facial and eye working process when he goes through these kind of moments of when someone yep. offers him an indisputable truth that he can't challenge or just tell to fuck off. And you can just see, like, his brain stall, catch on the gear, and then have to rework itself and get going again. And as always, he receives the good advice, can't dispute it, he processes it, he accepts it, and then just yells, fuck, and walks off to deal with it. This is what Roy does. We've seen it every time.
0: So, um one thing that goes on during this episode that, you know, I'm here for the jokes for like 70% of it. And mm-hmm. there's not a lot of jokes. This this episode so was why it's not one of my favorite, but one running gag they do, which I eh, kind of like, I give it a B minus is Jan is around and always just cuts through the bullshit of every scene. Like in yes. this one, he, ju- he just jumps in and goes, Oh no, Jamie's right. Like he, "Nope, Boom. Jamie's right. And then he explains that Jamie's um, understanding of, the actual play and like how like on the field how he knows that he's supposed to give his player space in, in that particular yeah. moment he got from a guy named krujif which i will talk about later in the sports center mm-hmm. top 10 so he actually calls out the specific coach that jamie learned it from so jan
1: jan kind of the narrator of scenes as we go well we saw the same thing back when he was trying to re, when everybody was trying to reassure sam over banter Where jan's the one that walks up and basically says along the lines of no it means the relationship isn't going anywhere and is dead yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you're right, but shut up! Damn, these uh, are Danish, Dutch, sir. Get your get your right get your right European countries. Uh, um, left hand. Now, same thing. Let's see. <laughs> uh, as I said, Roy, Roy Roy walks off. Back in the locker room, though, the team, again, as you said, wonderful people that want this man to be one of them, have a gift prepared for Nate, which would have been awkward as hell if he hadn't apologized. But now he kind of sort of has, so they can give it to him. Of where it's his own number one kid, number one on the team, Wonder Kid jersey. It was Will's idea, apparently. Again, though, it's focusing on the whole Wonder Kid, Wonder versus Wonder Kid thing, which was a mistake by Nate. Which now he's actually progressed to the point of just openly denying happened.
0: Yeah, he says, "I said Wonder Kid." Like what? No, and every, and you know, Danny. They focus on Danny because Danny's the nicest guy in there, and he just goes, like almost like. Do you really want to say that? Like, that's a really bad look, my friend.
1: Yeah, it's obviously not true, but everyone's like, hey, "Okay, well, show your jerseys, share awkward moment, bye." It's, it's just another
0: example of Nate like not having, not, not his self confidence is so low he can't read the room. Like, he needs to accept this Wonder Kid thing. Everyone thinks it's great and funny, and it's an example. It is representative when they're referencing the Wonder Kid thing of a time when he succeeded. That's the memory. Yeah, the memory it, is that you. This would remember that time that you crushed it. Wonder like that's the thing. He should be openly embracing this, and he's not capable of doing it.
1: But to the point that he's even having to rewrite reality to fit the narrative that he desperately needs. That he's perfect. There were no defects. There were no flaws. Everything is fitting to the narrative that he set for himself, and that's the way it is. He can't even acknowledge the idea of fallibility. Even it's one that everybody loves and is rallying around him for because he's so utterly fragile that even the slightest chip in him and everything's gonna collapse and fall apart. So I'd have been walking around, around if
0: I was him saying, Look, it should be Wonder Kid. Yeah. That's that would be my It, it is Wonder it should, Kid now. It should it's, be.
1: <laughs> well it's, even at this point. It, hey, I'm not the expression. I'm Wonder Kid. I'm my own thing. I'm not the one Wonder Kid. That's an entirely separate thing. I'm Wonder Kid now. That's yeah, give me who I the
0: jersey. am. I'm putting this jersey. Yeah, and there's so many ways to play this. Nate just does it
1: wrong, wrong, wrong. But you can understand for somebody that is that lacking in self-confidence to that extreme degree that this is a very authentic re- expression of just how inappropriately and defensively and angrily I respond to kind of moments like this. Yeah. Saying this as a person who doesn't have the most uh, you know self-confidence in the world either. Um while at the pub now, or at the pub. May offers Ted another beer, offers him a few words of wisdom to basically justify giving him another beer. When our all-time favorite of the show. If
0: music be the food of love, play on. Give me excess of it. You know the quote?
1: I know the quote, but where is it actually from? Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Wonderful. Uh, Trent Krim, though, my favorite character on the show arrives. Independent. Independent. Uh, He walks up with a Casablanca quote, Beautiful. All the
0: bars and all the plan. Yep.
1: Uh, And gets right to the point of, he wants an official statement from Ted, and Ted in particular, concerning his early departure from the prior match. Ted just offers, you know, the official narrative, but Trent cuts through that entirely and says, "Eh, I'm here for a personal quote from you on what happened. Ted repeats the lie. And notably, Trent keeps on giving him an opportunity to not do that. Yes. Before he keeps giving him a space. Like, "Eh, okay, if you'd like to elaborate or if you'd like to change that story, here's your time to do it. This is a man who's got a scoop. This is a man who wants to get a quote in before something else happens or has thinks there's more going on here than it's being revealed in the official narrative and wants to give Ted the opportunity to control the story.
0: So that's a great question. Do we think that Trent already knows or suspects? Because I think you, you, did, you, you offered two things there, that he already has a scoop, right, that he's going to go with Ted had some emotional breakdown, somebody else in the, the clubhouse told him, or does he just know Ted
1: well enough by now to know that's bullshit? I think a little problem. I think either one could potentially work out. We've seen before that Will's a bit of a gossip, so it's possible Will may have talked to the press. Um, in terms, because he would have been a person that would have been in the clubhouse to see Ted walking by in that particular way at that particular time, or someone else may have seen it. Who knows, too? It also could just be, as you said, man looked at Ted's reaction right there and went, I've seen a lot of coaches over the years and I've seen Ted. I don't think that man would leave for food poisoning. What's the actual story going on here? Yep. So this is very much Trent like, hey, I'm writing on this. How much you want to talk to me about this now before I write on it? And Ted, not comfortable in this enough to do anything other than repeat the lie. And you can see even when Trent just like, okay, I'm going to say right back at you what you just told me. That's what you're saying. And walks out as Ted just looks on like, oh, fuck, I just repeated a lie to this guy. Exactamundo, Dikembe Mutombo. Yeah, that's Ted again offering the little Ted is in Lassim's cover for the actual things that he's feeling. So. Wag the finger. Wag, wag the, the finger. finger. Uh, Achilles' place. Roy's car is out front. And when she arrives in through the door, it looks like he's packing to leave. Bags are packed at the front door. She's afraid that this might be a thing. No. I know. I know. She thinks this for
0: a half second. I, I know. But like,
1: first off, she's getting home pretty late. Keely, what are you doing out so late? Two. She's
0: working the hours. I guess. Uh, two, um, she see, th- this is so cute, right? Because she sees one bag. It's literally like his day bag that he just put, put by But she is so worried <gasps> about the situation. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one bag throws her into a tizzy, which I actually think is pretty
1: endearing. It just shows yeah, it how much she, she, she values Roy and doesn't want to lose him. Yeah, she she runs upstairs. Is it fair to see in this particular moment, lot cold light of day, she'd look at this and go, well, obviously he's not really doing this. But in this moment, she's like, oh shit, he's moving out. Or yes, exactly moving all saying. of his stuff out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Instead, she runs up the stairs to find, actually, here's further confirmation that Roy may be the greatest boyfriend in the history of television. As the man is not only assembled... A perfect, beautiful place of bathing solitude for his lovely lady. He's done it by looting the neighbor's garden to arrange for the rose petals to be there, which is just great. Borrowing his niece's little glow light, which he needs back, otherwise they'll be hell to pay. Uh, like I think it's a scrub for her just feet. Foot, that he very, foot scrub
0: for her gross
1: feet. Which apparently are terrifying, but he really cushions it with, but, you know, we have to deal with the fact that I release enough hair down the drain, it's like removing a fucking rat from the from it every single time.
0: Babe, and, I think you're the cat's pajamas, but
1: your feet are a fucking state. <laughs> I love that line. I love how she smiles to it too, because the two of them are comfortable enough to say these kind of things to each other, unlike Nate.
0: He also takes uh, her
1: clothes off during this. He does. How much? How, I, we, you always ask me, did I appreciate that particular Rebecca saying? Did you appreciate Roy seductively removing Keely's clothing while he's telling her these lines? uh i mean i i like you i don't know like i (laughs) i wonder how far they're gonna go with like
0: because they did the like him going down on her scene and then they did this scene where they there was almost nudity in it like eh, i don't know that they need to go you know what i'm saying like that's not my that's not my jam for ted lasso i don't know how far they really need to go with that i mean we get we can get the point without it being like overtly sexual i guess is what i'm trying to say
1: i agree uh he then offers the most romantic thing that he ever that he could possibly offer her that while she gets in Goes into the bath, which you said some very carefully done hiding the nudity to really not do straight up nudity on this show. He then offers to essentially bug her off to the next three to four hours to just leave her alone, to just detox from the day in her own peace. Yep. She kisses him. She smiles. She finally got what she wanted. And she enjoys this particular moment by herself, what she's very much needed. A lot of kissing
0: when she thanks him.
1: It's a very tender moment, which again shows the two of them is just healthy relationship goals embodied in two people.
0: Roy and Keeley
1: had a fight. Now it's all bundled up by the end of the episode. Isn't it wonderful? They're great people. Shut up. Uh, Nate, however, is still browsing Twitter. This man's been Uh, browsing Twitter for three days nonstop. And notably, he finally, after this multi-day spile, visibly comes across a negative tweet. We haven't seen a single negative comment before that I noticed. This is the first one that just says something like, yeah, he did great, but he's still a loser.
0: Hashtag Coach Nate. Hashtag Not My Wonder Kid.
1: His face falls. And the song, uh, notably also, um,
0: yeah. Cream, I Feel Free.
1: Yeah. Just want to previously note, the song when uh, um, Roy and Keely were in the bath was uh, By Your Side by Sade That was the song I liked. Oh, But okay. yes. Uh, feel free, I Feel Free by cream begins to play He charges out of his office Goes straight into the kit room And though it's off camera He confronts and maybe based on the sounds Actually shoves Will, the kit man
0: Sounds like he, he uh, My guess is he grabbed the jersey Because he had brought the jersey and he gave it to Nate He pushed the jersey into his chest is my guess
1: Yeah, I heard people say that he just threw it at him No, it sounds like there was a phys- physical moment Of falling back or whatever else And says line If you ever humiliate me again I'll make your life a fucking misery and charge us out of the room sir would there ever be a circumstance where you ever would say that to an employee without hr immediately then being involved
0: no i mean i i mean my company rightly so i'd be in a lot of trouble which it should be maybe even fired for saying something like that uh here's my point here's my nate rant please give it to us now what this show is doing is it's showing you what nate's problems are right what what he what his issues are that is resulting in this behavior, this external sort of behavior, right? But Nate is just an asshole. He's just an asshole. No one, I've never in my life encountered somebody who's an asshole that didn't have a reason for being an asshole. Everybody sure. is either having a bad day, low self-confidence, dad hated him, drunk, There's something going on with everyone when they're being an asshole that doesn't excuse the behavior for anyone. And just because we have an inside peek into why Nate's being an asshole doesn't excuse the fact that he's an asshole. So my whole Nate rant here is that we should call him an asshole and put a period on the end of that sentence the way we do every single other person who's being an asshole. Like, I, I don't I don't do this sort of like caveat with him. I think we should just call him a jerk and he's just being a jerk. And everybody who's a jerk has a reason for being a jerk.
1: Yeah. Understand, but do not excuse. I mean, what he's doing is, is is not something we can just brush <laughs> under the rug.
0: <laughs> I went on a two-minute rant, and you just nailed it in one sentence. Understood. Yeah, okay.
1: Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm for it. it it's, was I'm clearly I'm, I'm on the same page of you, where I've seen people always just say, well, you know, you just got to forgive him. He's having a rough time, or, you know, she's had it's, it's, been, it's been a difficult experience. It's like, well, I can still come to that from a state of empathy and still say you can't do that. And That can be a thing that happens. And if they're willing to improve, great. If they're not, then they're just straight up an asshole. And it seems right now, Nate's not in a state where he's willing to improve.
0: We tend to forgive because we have a peek behind the curtain as to what somebody's going through. But the reality is everybody's going through something. Everyone in the world is going through something. Just because you don't have a peek behind it doesn't mean it's any different than the person you do have a peek behind the curtain. right? So, My point is, he's just an asshole. That's it.
1: Yeah, that's part of the reason that like, you know, old school Disney villains were great because they were just dyed in the whole evil in a way you almost never see in the world. It's not, every, Everybody's the hero of their own story. Everybody's got a certain sympathetic reason or re- that sent them down their dark path or whatever else. It's not something that just because you find out about the trauma that it all makes it okay what they're doing now. It may it yep. g- give you some empathy to help, you know, try to help them. But if they're still just being an asshole, you need to address the fact they're being an asshole.
0: Yep. Agreed. Shit rolls uh, downhill too. That's another one. It's the shit rolls downhill thing with nah. me, right? It's like, um, yeah, my boss slaps me, I I slap my employee type thing.
1: It's very notable too that he's no that now having Beard confront him over the subject of players, he's returning to somebody that he thinks he can get away with. He's going after Will. Now, notably, the guy that he goes after, Will, is the same guy that did the Wonder Kid reference again, and he's that's the thing he keeps hitting back on several times. It's what he, hit, he really he doesn't Colin, like that. Thing.
0: Yeah, he really doesn't like that
1: because it's him. It's it's, some, it's a mistake that he made during his moment of glory. It's a little bit of tarnish on, on his on his otherwise perfect trophy. And so that's what he keeps returning to, is that that's an element of vulnerability that he just can't acknowledge that exists. Otherwise, everything that he is is going to collapse. Agreed. So the, re, the recap is done, a relatively shorter one this time around. But, you know, I think it had some affecting scenes and some important scenes, and it's going to set up a lot, of, a lot of where we go. But it felt like a bit of a not as much necessarily happening in this episode kind of experience. Oh, it's not not that bad.
0: (laughs) I really didn't like it. Um, You can even tell with me through the recap. I was all. I mean. Apologize. I know I was all over the place to recap. I even started listing the things that were cool to bottle because it's just bored. <laughs> the You're hell You're right. Out of me. You're right. I did nail that though. Yeah. Shout out. You did. No, I was, it, it did bore me this episode and I, I, what? I still love the show. I'm all in. I will be watching it first thing Friday morning for season two, episode eight, because it, the show has built that trust for me that mm-hmm. it can, it can go as an episode that I'm not crazy about and I'm still locked in, but I hope that this was more of a filler episode. Uh, because they had to get to 10, they stretched it a little bit. I just felt like it wasn't. it wasn't um, packed enough with enough things to justify being a standalone episode for me.
1: Well, sir, remember, journeys are about walking through a dark. About journeys are about walking through a dark forest every now and then. And to get through the dark, you to get, get to the end goal, you have to go through the dark forest. This, sir, is your dark forest of the season.
0: Yeah, it's the just trust me thing that the, the show said. Just trust me. Well, you know,
1: yeah, hey, hey, we you, talked just, about this.
0: <laughs> but the just trust me thing is when you hit a plot point that I'm not comfortable with, and there might be resolution later that you get me there. The just trust me doesn't work for an episode that's just flatly not entertaining like that yeah. to me doesn't doesn't really work. But, it, you know, other what? folks might like it. And if you do, that's great.
1: I think this sits up perfectly then. What did you feel was the train wreck of this episode? Uh, <laughs> I what don't, could not we, be?
0: We've done train wreck of the episode on many shows. Um, we've talked about winners and losers of the episode. I don't think we've ever had a train wreck of the episode, a loser of the episode that is more clear than this one. And that is one
1: Mr. Nate Shelley Shelby himself train wreck of the episode there's nothing to dispute in that regard this guy is the ultimate train wreck of this season yes. everybody else when they have rough moments they're still actually in the process of healing and improving and going on their own direction nate's the only one that's being progressively worse even as he appears to succeed completely agree are we ready for the sports center top 10 i am absolutely ready for the sports center top 10 okay
0: as most weeks you will lead off what is one thing that you noticed about the episode
1: Um, this is a credit to the episode that they could make the therapy sessions even for somebody like me that has directed version to therapy, look this both realistic and productive and heartwarming and caring and have have it look like even a steady progression and arc of it too. I thought that it was done beautifully and gave me a wonderful insight to Dr. Sharon that I'd been building to, but hadn't fully encapsulated yet until I got to see her finally in her element in her room dealing with another person on those kind of terms. Thought that worked out beautifully and it sold me on the character, even to which degree I'd been accepted, but hadn't fully realized up until this moment.
0: Yeah, I feel like those scenes aren't written for me, right? They're not written for people who already trust therapy. I think
1: they're actually written for you. They're, ri- they're written for Ted. They're written for people that are coming in this from Ted's perspective. And yeah, that, that that's what they're hitting me on.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um the we start out with the song I Got You, Babe, by Sharon Sonny Bono. Absolutely. Um, that is a phenomenal song. Um, it was taken. It's the first single taken from their debut album. So it's the very first single from their very first album. Look at us, though. They came out the gate hot with that one. Uh, it spent three weeks number one on the Billboard Hot 100 in the United States. Sold more than one copies back in the day when people would buy singles. I know it's crazy now. Um, <laughs> and it also reached number one in the United Kingdom and Canada. A lot of covers of this song, Spencer. Uh, I would say the the best and the worst, I'm going to give you the best and the worst covers I Got You, Babe, right now. The best is by UB40. I don't know if you ever heard UB40. It's the red, red why that group.
1: Oh, okay, um, sure, yeah.
0: They did I Got You, Babe, and it was extremely good. It reached number one in the UK charts, number 28 in America. The very worst I Got You, Babe, is Cher Herself did with Beavis and Butthead. That was actually oh, released as a single. Yeah, I, there you
1: go. I, I, I've actually heard that one. Yeah, that one's bad. <laughs> pretty terrible there you go i got you babe uh next one for me roy and keely and relationship goals as you said it's kind of sappy that all their problems tend to resolve in an episode but they also go into all their problems like adults in a way as i've said before that you just don't see on television of where this one of the rare moments of where they didn't just talk about their problems straight up out front they actually had a bit of a blow up because they weren't doing that but they're still mature enough that they actually you know talk to friends talk to other people realize their issue and realize how best to resolve it in a way, you just don't see on TV that much to see people act that way. you still always surprised by how healthy the two of them are and have great hopes for them in the future.
0: Completely agree with that one, cosign 100%. My next one is, Ted told us to do the homework. We need to Google Jerky Boys. So here we go. It's an American comedy act from Queens, New York, whose yep. routine consists of prank calling people over the phone, if you can believe it. They actually called people back then. Duo was founded in 1989 made up of the childhood friends Johnny Brennan and Kamal Ahmed. So I don't know if you've ever heard uh, the jerky boys before but they basically make phone calls to unsuspecting recipients and they stay in character uh, with these over-the-top voices um, influenced by their own family members so they have like particular characters that do that re- do recurring calls like their aunt mm-hmm. whatever will do like recurring calls right and they, they create the characters within the prank phone calls they released albums of this and i will say that this was a great act i love the jerky boys america loved them they sold eight million copies until your kind, your folk, Spencer, got mucking around in this, the lawyers the came lawyers. In and said that apparently you cannot record someone over the phone without their permission first, and that completely blew a hole in the act, and they are no more.
1: It varies based on state law. There are one-party recording states, but there are many states that actually require two-party consent, and then, yeah, that's illegal. That's wiretapping.
0: Yeah, so they can't do it anymore, basically, um,
1: but it was good while it lasted. All right, last one from me. Beard confrontation with Nate. It was simple, it was understated, it was direct, and it was effective. That was a beautiful confrontation moment of telling Nate what you did was wrong and you need to fix it. And I really appreciated how much it was in keeping with Beard's style of handling things.
0: Okay, Um, I am going to go with a very, um, like, sort of off-the-cuff reference that jan made when talking about how jamie knew Aha. his stuff jamie knew his stuff with a guy named um johan kruff this is uh apparently who jamie was taking from when he figured out he needed to give his character his uh teammates space as opposed to crowd mm-hmm. them like roy told him to do henrik johan kruff was the dutchman he was a dutch professional football player and coach as a player he won the ballon three times in 1971 73 and 74 his Actually, um, highly regarded uh, and widely regarded as probably the best football player, football coach of all time. He <laughs> is well known uh, for being a proponent of what is called total football. I've never heard of this before. It's a tactical system in which any outfield player can take over the role of any other player in a team. It's basically, if you ever watch basketball, shocker, I'm going to make a basketball <laughs> reference. Right. It's, it's happening. Uh, it's like. It's like switching. Right. So like Spencer, if you are guarding a guy and I'm guarding a guy and they, they run a screen, we can just switch off and we'll switch who we are guarding and we'll just switch over and over and over again. In essence, that's kind of a parallel to what uh, Johan uh was pushing. And that's what our boy Jamie picked up on. And there you go. Nice. Didn't know that. Appreciate it. Okay, I think we nailed 10 on the nose as we do every week. Spencer, anything you want to talk
1: about wrapping things up before we jump into Ted's life lessons? As said, as this episode standing by itself, it's a fine episode. Not particularly stellar, not particularly amazing. got some good scenes, whatever else. But I think it fits in well with the arc of where the back half of the season is going. I'll just be really curious to see if this is indeed kind of the arc that they're going with. Will this be a show by the time it wraps up one that you and the people like you that appreciate the show for a somewhat different purpose will still enjoy as much by the time this season is done?
0: Yeah, I hope they throw a silly episode in uh, in the last three. I'm looking, I'm looking for like episode one, episode two level of
1: silly. Given episode nine, episode 10, I think we're going to need more time to heal and more time to address problems before we really can get back to that kind of fun moment again.
0: Yeah, I don't know. One thing that is true... During these episodes that aren't as funny, the last two in particular is Roy is still pretty funny. So they, they continue to give me some good Roy moments in the last couple episodes. So I, I will say that positively about the last couple episodes. Um, but again, not my favorite. I would put it in the top, may, bottom, maybe two or three. But when I say not my favorite Ted Lasso episode, it's still imminently watchable. And I still am always going to turn on the television.
1: Did you know what the name of the next episode was, by the way? Uh, what is it? Man City, we're doing the next next round Woo! of the playoffs of so the quarterfinal, and they're semifinal apparently challenging their own rival. Semifinal of Man City, and that's who Jamie played for, right? And that's who knocked them out of the Premier League last season. Yeah, this is a bit of a rematch, come to Jesus moment.
0: Here we go, revenge time, let's do it.
1: Trying to get the title belt back. But before then, we have Life Lessons with Lee. What did you get out of this episode, sir?
0: Ted's Life Lessons, here we go. Number one is around social media. Now, look, everybody has preached about this subject forever, about the ills of social media, about how it's bad. None of that seems to really change people's minds. I think people have this, like, uh, cognitive dissonance where they can hear about the evils of social media. They can agree. They can shake their head and say, you are absolutely 100% right. And then they go back to their social media feed and they do exactly what we see Nate do. Here is the advice I have for everyone around social media. And Mm -hmm. that is... Cultivate the environment you want. So accept friends who post things that make your life better. Every time Mm -hmm. you read a post, ask, did this post make my life better? And if it didn't, unfollow whoever it is. And what you can do is you can curate your social media to something that actually brings you joy. And I've done this recently. Let me tell you what I have in my Facebook feed right now, Spencer. Please. Everything is one of four things. They're either... (sighs) They're either benign pictures from someone's vacations, which I appreciate. Something about Star Wars, because mm-hmm. I, have, I follow a lot of Star Wars groups and I get a lot of Star Wars scoop. Cat videos or animal videos writ large, but mostly cat videos. <laughs> um, and then uh, for um, like uh, photography that I find particularly interesting. Now, that is it. That's all I want on my Facebook feed. I curate to get just that. So my advice to folks would be, to the extent that you you can, it's, I know it's hard, try to unfollow these folks that, that post things that don't make your life better. It's stuff that you're jealous of or makes you angry or some political post that makes you wanna like, come up with some cutesy response to really punch them back and really show them. That, all that stuff doesn't make your life better. Curate it for stuff that makes your life better. And I recommend cat videos.
1: Now, point of comparison, of course, we love to offer those. What, what do you think my my Facebook feed right now is offering by comparison? You you don't know. <laughs> you bastard. You knew the answer. Yeah, I haven't looked at it in six months.
0: You have no idea. So there's, there's you know, you, that, I mean, that's that's some other underlying, like, I mean, get, get off social media, right? But I, I, a lot of people aren't going to do that. So I say try to curate it to make yourself happy. Number two, this quote from Beard, you were rude to Colin, not just rude, it was personal and weird. No, this is, uh, it was personal and, and weird. Do better. Um, so yeah. what I, what I'm, I'm going to say about this one is no one is perfect. You're going to snap in life. You're going to say things you regret. You're going to be mean to a person you shouldn't have been mean to. What makes you, what makes us, okay. What, what makes us grow, right? What makes us good isn't the lack of doing that. Everyone is going to do that. So don't hold yourself to that standard. What, what, shows our growth and what makes us good is how we respond to when we do that right so when you do you make you snap at somebody you do something that's unnecessary don't think to yourself man i should never ever do that you're human you're going to do that occasionally it's how you quickly make amends for that that is that is what shows growth and that's what shows uh, a good person right so um, don't hold yourself to the standard that you're never going to snap on somebody, you're never going to say something that's personal Absolutely. and weird. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to do that. Hold yourself to the standard of do better.
1: Yeah. The, me- the measure of maturity is not making it's not uh, is not never making mistakes. It's then what you do in response to them. And it, I it's useful to have a friend like beard of now and then that just says, "Dude, you fucked up here. How about you do something to fix it?"
0: Exactly. So don't don't be afraid to internalize. Hey, I did this thing. It's okay. Give yourself a break. Everyone does it. But then go out and make amends for it. And number three, final one. Here we go. I think it's represented on the screen perfectly. So I don't have to belabor the point. If you're in a relationship with someone who requires personal space, don't take it personal. It's okay. It's not about you. It's about them. This wasn't about Roy. It was about what Keely needed. And Roy eventually got there and understood it. It's not a slight on him. It's not her saying she loves him any less. Mm-hmm. or cares about him any less it's simply something she needs to be comfortable fulfilled and psychologically healthy so when somebody tells you in a, in a relationship hey i need some personal space don't take it personally give it to them realize it's not about you it's about them
1: absolutely uh, it, yeah displayed, really on the had... screen, displayed on the screen perfectly right they, they showed that really well now would you recommend that in you know accommodating that that you then loot your neighbor's garden of all their rose bushes I think is that you, showed on the stream perfectly. Um, I uh, here's the thing: uh,
0: if Roy did it, I'd let him take my my roses. <laughs> so I have problem with it. I don't think I would ever call him out. But I will say that's a pretty shit move, right? Like, I mean, people put a lot of effort into their garden. You
1: just go raid their garden for one bath, like Jesus, Roy. What at what level of sports star in real life could you find in your garden taking all the flowers, taking all the petals off your rose bushes? And be like, well, he cl- clearly he's got a reason and purpose for doing that i i mean i'm a sucker right a bench warmer for unc can have all that stuff. <laughs> dude you gotta set a higher standard there for looting your harder and i'm, I'm pro- pretty
0: low i'm a big sports guy um yeah so there you go that's life lessons with ted i think that um i think that the episode while it wasn't particularly entertaining for me i do think that there's some things to to look at in the episode and go hey man that's something to really consider right like if my if my significant other needs personal space doesn't mean that she loves me any less i think that's that was displayed on the screen so well
1: and that felt like that was almost more of the purpose of this episode than necessarily the overarching plot necessarily it was those kind of several of those life lessons and also exploring nate's journey to darkness
0: yeah and this sort of like inching you closer to hey let's let's show that you know therapy is healthy like let's show how that
1: that works this leaves me then with one of the key questions I'm pondering over the course of this season: of where you and I have debated constantly. What is the what is the deep dark mystery of Ted? Ted even straight up calls it pretty much that in the course of this episode. Yep. Do you think we'll get re- revelations on that question this season, or do you think it's it, it, that'll be uh, we won't get to that quickly?
0: I think we get it at the end of the season. Before the end of the season, yes, I do. Because because they're gonna, they're they're building to something with his conversations with Doctor Sharon. They hit it home over and over and over again in kind of a boring way. Like they they belabored it to the point they want you to know this is a thing. I don't think they'll I don't think they'll stretch that to next season. I think you're gonna get some sort of revelation in his conversations
1: with Doctor Sharon. I think they'd and be I, wiser. Go ahead. I think they'd be wiser to do so. This, is, this doesn't feel like a point that would be worthwhile to string along much longer, given how much they've emphasized over the course of this season, even last season, building up to it previously. This is a moment that's been teased for a while now, in terms of revealing a lot of what makes Ted Ted, the background that's driven him to this particular moment, why he set these rules and parameters for himself that keep him going. So if, if they keep on dragging us along for that, I think it just makes it all the weaker when it's finally revealed. I completely agree.
0: I still stand by my theory though, because I've been crushing the theory so far. Oh yeah, show. yeah, bad really, Like la- last episode, I-, I theorized that Ted would not be the coach by the end of this
1: episode. So tick another one on the success. <laughs> hey, hey! If you listen me. to tw- if you listen to Twitter to, to uh, Twitter and show that already named uh, Nate as the head coach and Ted be out of the job.
0: Yeah, Jesus. Uh, so I've been I've been terrible on the prediction so far, but I will say that my prediction still is that uh, Ted's dad killed himself. I think
1: that uh, one still holds. Given the focus on dads this season and last, dads being so much of a driving force with respect to why characters are parents in general, really.
0: He even said, "You're going to blame it all on my folks, aren't
1: you?" After you, and after I spill my guts, you're going to blame it all on my folks. Did you note know how Doctor Sharon reacted when he said that? No, it's. you when he said that, she immediately tilted her head a little bit, like let's write that understand. one down. For, let's return to that point for later. You went to exactly that point. Yeah.
0: Okay, well there we go. I think we wrapped up the episode, Spencer. While I did not love the episode,
1: I love the show, and I do love talking to you about it. Any concluding thoughts before we get out of here? I am looking forward to seeing a rematch with them in Man City next episode, and I'm fascinated to see where this show's going to go with that. Because it, I, this show consistently will surprise me about how they play out the plot, particularly for moments like this, particularly big sports moments like this. I really don't know how the yeah, quarterfinal, is it semifinal, or semifinal, right,
0: is going to resolve.
1: it's going to resolve for the next episode
0: richmond till we die richmond till we die we're sure we are richmond we'll be rooting for richmond next episode absolutely thanks everybody for listening again if you're enjoying the podcast please rate and review us go to mangumtalks.com you can fill out a form you can let us know your thoughts again we really appreciate everybody for listening and we look forward to talking to you next week for season two episode eight see you then